Welcome to Faith Fondue, a new podcast featuring me, author and speaker Haley DiMaria, and teacher and blogger Ann Strickers. Faith Fondue will feature a melting pot of topics ignited by a flame, our faith, and guided by the Holy Spirit. Each week will feature a theme, and the theme for this week's episode is anniversaries. Welcome, Ann. Morning, Haley. Today is the week of January 24th, the third Sunday in ordinary time. But I know this is not um, ordinary. This day is not ordinary for you, Haley. This is an anniversary week for you, which inspired our theme. Um, But let's begin by circling back real quick to our topic from last week, which was justice. And if there's an American virtue, I think it's certainly the strife for justice. What do you think? Absolutely. You know, justice and the inauguration, you know, justice uh, won as it has for over 200 years of our country. And, you know, we are all grateful and and say a prayer of Thanksgiving that we had this trans this peaceful transition of power, which um, in many ways is unique to our country. Um, you know, that doesn't necessarily happen all over the world or has not happened in history. Um, and it's exciting. We have a new president and he's Catholic. Uh, you know, that hasn't happened in 60 years and it's only happened twice in the history of our country. Um, but one thing I noticed um, this week and even in the weeks leading up to um, President Biden's inauguration is that even though he was sworn in 60 years to the day um, that our first Catholic president was sworn in, first of all, there was no mention of that, um, that it has been 60 years. Um, But there wasn't much mention of President Biden's religion at all. Um, They mentioned he had gone to mass, but it didn't seem like they made as big a deal of of President Biden being Catholic as perhaps they did when when President Kennedy was elected and inaugurated. So, you know, and why is that? You know, why do Catholics seem to not embrace President Biden um, as they embraced and celebrated President Kennedy? Um, Or is it a fact that the, a Catholic president isn't as big a deal in 2020, 2021, as it was, you know, back in 1961. Um, you know, it really hasn't been discussed, but it's something I've been thinking about all week. You know, Haley, uh, yeah, when you mentioned that, I had to pause and like consider do kind of an inventory. Yeah, is this something that I heard? If so, how often? You know, who is talking about it? And you're, first of all, you're exactly right. 60 years, that sounds like, I mean, that's a significant amount of time, but I actually think that's important for framing what we're looking at today. In those 60 years, Catholics have been so integrated into American life. And I worked at the National Catholic Education Association in Washington, DC in the late 90s and 2000s. And the leaders would talk about this quite a bit that um, financially Catholics have, you know, which have often been immigrant groups were in a new place. Um, Because of Catholic schools, they had done well in society. There wasn't this fear of the papacy in the sense of the Pope would be the leader that perhaps a government leader would have to bow to, so to speak. So Joe Biden, from everything I read and continue to hear about, really lives his faith in the sense of he practices his faith. He attends mass regularly. Um, For example, you mentioned it, Father Kevin O'Brien, who's the president at Santa Clara University. He um, had mass for the Bidens at St. Matthew's Cathedral, which is also where JFK's funeral mass was. I just thought about that. 
and he's a close family friend of when their son was at Georgetown University. They became friends with him. Kevin O'Brien also did the mass when he was inaugurated as vice president. So this is a relationship that means something with them. Father Leo Donovan, the former president of Georgetown, um, gave the what is that? The bless with the Bible, like the the official blessing. I should get that right. I think it's interesting that you know Dr. Jill Biden is a convert to Catholicism. It was really important for President Biden in his life, um, and so his wife, yeah, they they're joined in their faith and the practice of that. Mike Pence was raised a Catholic, and he's now a non-denominational Christian. I don't remember how much talk there was of that Haley I don't know if you remember anything like that but um that's kind of an interesting you know it's not uncommon I'm looking at you as a convert it's not uncommon for people to convert to right Catholicism um it's not as often I feel like I usually hear about people losing like not practicing their Catholic faith they certainly convert to other traditions as well so maybe we'll put frame Mike Pence in that way. Um, But I did think it was really interesting reading about Amanda Gorman, the poet laureate. She's a Catholic. She's from Los Angeles and Angelino, as we call them. And she's a member of this Josephite parish, which I think is worth noting. The Josephites are priests who work with Black American communities. And so her parish um, I I haven't been there in Los Angeles is a a Josephite parish. And um, we certainly see that growth of Catholics in public service and office, even with like six of the nine Supreme Court justices being Catholic. So kind of an interesting broad strokes of Catholics in in leadership in our country or representation on that day, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it's, um, you know, I smile every time you say the word convert. I feel like I have a special connection with with all of my fellow converts out there. I didn't know that about um, Dr. Jill Biden, that she was a convert, but it certainly makes sense, um, you know, for with them joining in marriage and, and raising a family together. Um, yeah, I just thought it was really interesting. It's, you know, it's, it's neat to see, um, you know, what I hope is a good moral compass in this leadership, whether it's, you know, rooted in their Catholic faith or Catholic education. Um, it, it's interesting when we, you know, we look at the, the diversity of our country and, um, you know, wanting to have our country and our leadership really represent that diversity. Um, you know, we talk, we talk about diversity in many ways, but, you know, a lot of times religious diversity isn't brought up. Um, you know, there's certainly racial diversity. We talk about socioeconomic diversity, diversity in thought, um, age diversity, gender diversity. Um, but, you know, it's, it's neat to see that the religion diversity is, um, should be an important part of that conversation as well. Um, and you notice this, you know, circling back to our theme on justice in the NFL this week or recently. Yeah. You know, diversity is, um, you're so right about the many criteria, so to speak, or ways that we, we characterize diversity. So to have, yeah, the second president be Catholic is a new face on that diversity, but in the NFL, in the last few weeks, seven head coaches have lost their jobs. And there's an ongoing um, emphasis on having more, in particular, Black Americans to be head coaches, to have leadership positions, probably people of color as well. 
But when so many of the players themselves are Black American, or, you know, then you want to have the leadership represent who's in the group. And it's interesting because there are um, systems in place. For example, the 49ers, they're one of their leadership um, in the office, front office, was now going to be with the Washington football team. And so the Niners, because he's Black and he's been promoted, the Niners actually get a benefit from that. They get... Um, higher draft picks so they were talking about how there's again incentives to to facilitate this diversity but it hit home in san francisco because the defensive coordinator his name is robert sala and he is arab american and he will be the head coach of i believe i should know this i think it's i'm gonna mess it up we could look that up i'll look it up you keep talking yeah robert sala anyways robert sala is described my dad told me as Muslim American in the sports news. And I was like, dad, no, like, why would they say that it should be Arab American? But sure enough, when I was listening to sports talk radio, they described him as Muslim American. So to your point about religious diversity, it's interesting when we're trying to get, you know, again, men of color in positions. And I would imagine an Arab man would be considered as diverse in that way as a person of color, but they're describing him through his religious tradition. So, well, and and some of that could just be that, um, you know, people understand, well, actually they don't understand which is why they're using the the term wrong, you know, being a Muslim versus being an Arab. Um, I, I just think they aren't probably accurately using that description. And I don't even feel like I'm accurately articulating it right now. Um, but, Robert Sala is going to uh, the New York Jets. They definitely could use some better leadership in New York. Um, my father-in-law is a Jets fan, and um, it's uh, it's a it's the cross that he bears. Um, I think uh-huh. watching that team every week. Well, um, he's getting a hardworking coach. That I can say for sure. Nobody, I mean. Robert Sala, that's a loss for the Niners, but his players recognize what a great opportunity for him. And I do like that. I appreciate that when athletes can see, you know, yeah, it's a loss for them, but they are proud that their, you know, defensive coordinator, somebody who's worked this hard is finally getting that that opportunity. Sure. They're happy for him. Yeah. No, I'm that's that's actually I would imagine as a coach the greatest compliment um, is to have your your players Sorry to see you go, but happy that you're being recognized for your talents. And, you know, Haley, to your point, I was thinking about, you know, Palestinians when I went to Israel and we went into Palestine and, you know, there's Christians there. And would you, it's, I love having that conversation about self-identity. You know, how do you describe yourself? Are you a Jew? Are you an Arab? Right. Are you an Arabic, you know, Muslim? Are you, I mean, there's, I'm thinking of like, Papua New Guinea or some of the places in the world where you're certainly like Southeast Asian and you identify and then you're also Muslim. So it's interesting to let people define for themselves, perhaps. No, actually you're, you're totally correct. And it would be really, uh, you know, hopefully somebody out there will hear this and ask, you know, in a position where they could ask, you know, coach Sala, how, how does he self-identify? You know, what, how would he do that? And, you know, you're in education, I'm in education, you know, I work in admissions you know, how families self-identify um, is actually the only criteria we use, really. Um, you know, we would never mark someone, um, you know, we wouldn't, we would never check any boxes for a family, you yeah. know, they have to self-identify. So um, we'd be curious to see, you know, yeah. 
how he how he would self-identify but just just circling back in the you know before we move on to our spiritual stew uh back to president biden and our next catholic president um one thing that i learned watching the inauguration that i thought was really interesting um you know especially as a as a fan of the play hamilton and a former history teacher who um you know found that the whole play a, a musical of hamilton just fascinating um, and, and George Washington and the, the whole thing is just, um, you know, we could probably do a whole show on, on that. Um, but I, they mentioned um, during President Biden's inauguration that Archbishop John Carroll, um, so certainly that's a name that's familiar to all Catholics. Everybody's heard of, you know, John Carroll. There are many Carroll school. We have a John Carroll High School in Baltimore. Um, mm-hmm. But of course, he was a real person. And, you know, he wrote the prayer that was read at George Washington's first inauguration. And I just thought, First of all, I had never heard that. I thought that was so cool. Um, here you have a you know a Protestant president. He's first president of the United States, uh, a country that is founded on the separation of church and state, and you have a Catholic archbishop um, who has written and and delivering this prayer at that very first inauguration. So there is a foundation at the beginning of our country as it was founded, even though we are you know, over 200 years later, um, just inaugurating our second Catholic president, that um, our faith has been around clearly for a very long time. Um, And the celebration of, you know, we know people came here for religious freedom so that they were free to worship. So Washington not being, you know, a Catholic, would they look at the ecumenical nature of that action? Um, I think that says a lot about, you know, our foundation. So thanks for sharing that with us. And um, yeah, I think John Carroll also founded Georgetown University. I think that's his statue at the heart of campus. I played golf yesterday with a friend who went to Georgetown and he was telling me his, during Clinton's second administration, his whole, like all of his classmates, they went because it was a very public event. You know, the inauguration is usually public, obviously this year because of, you know, COVID and whatnot we saw. It was different. There were obviously still people there and I thought, what a big deal to have, you know, a president, someone elected from your school. Like, obviously, as a Notre Dame grad, that would just send me over the top, hopefully. Right, <laughs> but right. But glad we were able to partake and enjoy that day and, and all that it meant. And we can only hope for healing, as uh, President Biden said, as his message, that our country will heal and uh, justice will prevail. So thank you for bringing that back. You're welcome. So let's let's steer away from the politics that we promised we wouldn't talk about and um, move on to our, our spiritual stew and the gospel readings. And, you know, there was um, one gospel in particular that really stuck out to me this week. And, you know, our, our theme this week is anniversaries. And um, it's, we chose that theme for a reason. As you mentioned, um, this week marks a, a, a pretty significant, very significant anniversary um, in my life and in the lives of, of many people within the Notre Dame family. Um, but the gospel this week is Mark three thirty five. Jesus says the words, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. And this, this really spoke to me because, you know, there, there's this, I have a lot of sayings that I say often, you know, there are some you know, anyone who gives um, talks or presentations on a regular basis, you kind of have your 
catchphrases for lack of a better word, or you, you have some themes that you want to make sure that you always touch on. And, um, you know, I always apologize to people who have heard me give my presentation or speak more than once because they're going to hear the same jokes, you know, every time they barely change. And, um, so, so one thing I always talk about is, um, you know, how, how hard it would be to go through something like I did. And I'll talk about that in a second, um, without, without my family and and I define family as you know the family I was born to and then my you know my family of origin and then the family that surrounded me the people who took care of me who did the will of God as this gospel says and became my brothers and my sisters and my family and you know are just as important to me as my family of origin so this week marks the 29th anniversary of the Notre Dame swim team bus accident. Um, it was, was and is um, certainly an event that defined my life, uh, my coach's life, and and defined the lives of all of those on the bus, and and really that of our families as well. Um, and it's you know anniversaries are really tricky, and you know there, there are anniversaries of many kinds. Certainly, I have. Um, you know, the anniversary I share with my husband, that's our wedding anniversary. Um, if, if someone, you know, has ever passed away, um, you know, there were my two teammates, um, Colleen Hip and Megan Beeler, who passed away. So this anniversary is also the anniversary of their death. You know, anniversary, the anniversary of someone's passing is a challenging time. Um, you know, this anniversary is, you know, the, the tragic event that, that injured me and, and, you know, sent me to six back operations and months in the hospital and um, changed, completely changed the trajectory of my life. And and so talking about anniversaries, um, you know, I, it's not so much, I don't necessarily want to talk too much about the accident itself, but what do anniversaries mean? Because everybody's going to celebrate them at some times, or everyone's going to have an anniversary in their life um, that will be very meaningful to them. Again, whether it's a wedding anniversary, the anniversary of a death, the anniversary of a significant event, um, they become very important and they become very tricky because there's so many emotions involved with them. And, you know, one of the things that that was very defining for me was actually 28 years ago on the one year anniversary of our bus accident. And it was the first time that we had gathered together as a team to recognize and honor this event. Um, there had been the memorial masses. There had been, you know, other times that we had gathered, you know, in part as a team. Um, but coming together at that one-year anniversary was really interesting. And one of the things that we learned, and in, in the many years that I've shared this with others, you know, going through a tough time, it's not necessarily the day that's tough, um, but the but the week leading up to it, um, or the time leading up to it, and. You know, that's been true for me for 29 years. You know, January in many ways is not really a fun month for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. it, it can be, you know, dark and gloomy oh, and yes, right? Post holidays and um, you, you, it's, it's, it's just, it's cold, right? Um, and so, and you know, the, that January time is kind of the, you know, it's the January version of the June gloom. Um, mm. But it, and then that day sometimes is often not hard at all. But um, in looking at my teammates, what I found as it relates to anniversaries is some people wanted to talk about the accident all the time. Some people never wanted to talk about it. Some people mm. wanted to spend that time with just swimmers. Some people only wanted to be with the team. Um, some of my teammates didn't want to be with anyone on the team. And what I learned is that 
everyone responds to things differently. So here's the same event, the, the Notre Dame swim team bus accident. Um, it happened to all of us, you know, all of us who were on the bus experienced the same accident. Yes. But the way we reacted to it was all very different. And, you mm. know, there were 37 of us on the bus, 35 of us who survived the accident and 35 different ways in which we all mm. healed. And yes. that, and we had to be okay with that. So if you think of all these young girls, right? I, I'm, I was 18 years old, most of us 18, 19, yeah. 20, 21. And, yep. and you're dealing with girls, right? So we like mm. to judge and we like to, you know, we yeah. want everyone to react to things the way we do because that makes us feel comfortable. So watching my teammates respond to things differently, um, you know, we had to really learn to care about each other as teammates, as friends, um, to allow ourselves to heal in the way that was right for us. And yeah. and that's something that I've seen be true over, over the last 29 years is um, people respond to things differently and people yeah. heal differently and that's okay. Um, and, and I don't, that just in, in some ways has just made me probably a more understanding person, um, a a more aware person. Um, Mm -hmm. I know that, you know, on, on a day like today, I know who of my friends and family members are going to really want to talk about it. Um, but the one, the other thing that I've noticed is how amazing it is for people to remember. Um, it's very touching to me when I get the text messages on the 24th of January or, um, you know, I have friends who will call or even if they just send me a text that is a heart, um, the fact that people still remember is really amazing. And, you know, it's a piece of advice that I just gave out recently. I had a a late night text about two weeks ago from a a good friend here in Annapolis. And she said that one of her sons, uh, one of a good friend of one of her sons had been in a snowboarding accident that day. And, he had just come out of surgery and he has no feeling or movement from the waist down. They don't know what the situation is, but at this point, you know, he's, he's paralyzed. And she said, what can we do? I, and the first thing I wrote back was, there's really nothing you can do right now except for pray. You know, their, their family is in shock. You know, the parents are just trying to get there. I said, but the one thing that I know you can do, I said, write this, flip your calendar to, you know, 2022 and write this date on the calendar and make sure you acknowledge it next year when it happens. I said, they've got a long journey. Um, This will be a long, hard year for them. But by this time next year, they won't have the support they're about to feel and they will be very moved by the fact that you remembered. and, and she was very relieved to hear that because yeah. so many people do want to help out um, and there's times when you can't, but recognizing yeah. and honoring that anniversary yeah. um, is really meaningful. So I, that's a lot of talking, Anne. Um, I, I appreciate, you know, this being the topic. It, it is, it's a, you know, it's, we mentioned President Kennedy earlier and, you know, I in no way equate, um, you know, what happened to us at Notre Dame to, to you know anything that happened with President Kennedy, but I do know that um, you know Notre Dame canceled all sporting events that weekend. You know, in 1992, the weekend of our bus accident, for the mm. first time since you know the assassination of President Kennedy. Mm. Um, and I do know for for most of us, it was one of those defining moments um, in their lives, like it was for many people who were alive in 1963. 
um, who remember where they were when it happened. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's very defining um, with anniversaries as well. Yeah. You know, Haley, there's just so much wisdom in all that you shared, you know, the lived experience, what you've been through. And thank you for sharing all of that. Um, I told Father Tom today, I was upset after mass because I didn't offer a, during prayers of the faithful, just a prayer of gratitude for just the way that you've used your gift um, and all the reflection and, you know, prayerful insight that you've taken from this experience and shared it with the world. Really, I mean, it's such a grace because that was part of the theme of our homily. Um, so that was a missed opportunity on my part, um, but I get to offer it here on our podcast. But listening you know, to you talk, I think about one of the beautiful things in Judaism is that remembrance is prayer. The emphasis on remembering the dead or remembering events like the Shoah right? All of the traditions in um, their faith, and I think that carries over into Christianity, when we remember that is an act of prayer, because there are plenty of people that would be happy if it's never mentioned. And to your point of like trying to accept that, I, I think, I think, I, and I could be wrong, I think it is important to acknowledge and to remember, and we don't, we're not called to stay there. We are called to move on. But part of you know, growing and, and the grace that you've extended is because, you know, we, we do look back, we do remember, and we try to see where God is in the midst of all that so that we can move ahead. Um, I'm not sure you can have one without the other, so to speak. So, you know, we need all people. We need those who are, you know, who want to talk about it. We need those who don't, and, you know, we navigate together um, as a family. And I, was thinking as you were speaking, you know, I wasn't a student at Notre Dame for our listeners when the bus accident happened. I was a year behind Haley. And I remember being a student at Notre Dame my freshman year and my roommate um, was from South Bend and talking to us about this bus accident and what it meant. And I don't know if there was something in the observer, but we were very aware that it was a significant event. And even at 18 or 19, I don't know that you can fully grasp the, you know, losing a young person, let alone two, and then how it affected so many people's lives. You only have a small sense of that, but coming into this community and hearing about that, and that is why we call it the Notre Dame family, because it wasn't something that wasn't acknowledged. And I think in our own families, like we, you know, I learned about my grandparents, my mom's grandparents, my dad's grandparents, even though I never knew them or my mom's favorite aunt's we still talk about Aunt Cecilia. I never met her. I cannot wait, you know, someday in eternal life to, you know, be with her, so to speak. But we have to, we, you know, part of a family is passing down those stories and, and, and what are the takeaways from them? So it's an interesting perspective to share with you as someone who, you know, joined that family and, and was learning about this event and how people were affected. So I'm glad we were able to pray and there must have been a mass or, you know, like I said, maybe an article in the observer or whatnot. Well, and I love, I love that you make that analogy um, between the Notre Dame family and the real family, because you're right. We all have kind of family members of lore that we talk about and maybe never met. Um, and that, you know, it's very true even today, you know, actually, as we're taping this podcast, um, you know, the current men's and women's swim team. Um, on campus are down at the grotto um, praying for the 
you know, Megan and Colleen and the, the swim team of 1992. They weren't even born in 1992. Um, this yeah. is history to them. Um, but they still recognize and honor and, and, and don't sweep it under the rug. Um, you know, it's, it, it, is, it is something to honor and recognize. And I do think that that's something we can do, um, incorporate into our lives. And, and maybe it's our takeaway this week, um, you know, moving into the melting pot is who, could, who, who can we reach out to and, um, and remember and recognize, you know, in a meaningful way. Um, you know, I, I yeah, yeah, I know that's, you know, it's, it's one thing that I try to do all the time. Um, you know, I, I thought I was just doing it for, um, you know, a, a year and a half. My goals were always to, to walk again and swim again for Megan and Colleen. Um, I wanted to do that. And, and then I did, um, you know, certainly I walked and then swam again for Notre Dame and wanted to do that for them and then realized that wasn't enough. You know, that was only two years. And so it is a, a very real way that I try to live my life is to, to make sure that I honor and remember them um, and, and make sure other people remember them. Um, mm -hmm. That brings me great joy to know that they live on um, within so many other people. You know, and Haley, I think another takeaway might be um, to really pray for the family or, you know, if it's a family that you feel a part of, like at St. Francis, the school I'm at, we use that word all the time and a lot of communities do. And so if that's something you really believe in, like pray for the family, pray for the Notre Dame family. Um, I have mentioned this, I'm reading Pilgrimage by uh, Mark Shriver about um, Pope Francis. And there's this really powerful line um, in the book that says, Bergoglio received his deep, deep faith from his family. That is where he learned his faith. And I thought, wow, like if that's true, that is by far the most important. I know some parents like, because I work with teenagers, they want their child to choose for themselves. And you know, that's part of their story. But if we can give a young person faith, like within our family, what an incredible gift. Um, and I, when you were talking about family, I was thinking about my own family. My mom's parents are both from Ireland. And I always felt like that was such a gift to be Irish. Um, literally by heritage. And we've visited, we've had the ability to visit our family uh, many times. And my grandmother was from the North, Donegal, very rural area. And I remember being in the store at 12 noon and they must've prayed the Angelus because Ireland was traditionally a very Catholic religious country. And they would say the names of people who had died on that day, be it five years ago, eight years ago, 12 years ago. And you know, in these small towns, people know each other, but it's part of their practice to honor the dead and that they are part of our lives, even though they're not living. So um, what an interesting perspective to pray for the dead, but to remember the dead as we are, are talking about that and, and to know that we'll see them again. And so, you know, another perspective or takeaway this past week, we lost Larry King. We lost um, Henry Hank Aaron, one of the greatest baseball players of all time. I'll link his um, 715th home run, which is when he passed surpassed Babe Ruth. Babe Ruth had 714 home runs and, you know, Hank Aaron had 715. And there were a lot of people that did not want him to beat that record because he's a black American. Right. Um, but he lived 86 years. And I thought he, this is a man, he had a great run. He had a great run. So we are grateful that he had a long life and a good life. And, um, you know, whether it's 19 years or 86 years to lose somebody is always a loss. I don't want to minimize that. 
But thinking about this past week, people have been really struck because there have been a number of baseball stars in recent days that have um, left us. Well, and it's, you know, I will say that is one of the upsides of, of social media. Um, for sure. better or worse, that's how I learned that of both of these passings this week, you know, both both Hank Aaron and Larry King. Um, and both times I've turned to my husband and said, did you know Larry King died or did you know Hank Aaron died? And he always says yes. And I keep thinking, <laughs> why, why didn't you tell me? Um, yeah, but, I know. But, yeah, once we stop reacting to that, it's like, I mean, that's news. You can't top that. Come right. On. right. Yeah. And, but that, you know, it's so, it's, so, it's, they're such wonderful tributes, you know, both of them led extraordinary lives in their own way. Um, and, but, Man. but to have, but to have that reflection and to be able to share, um, just to share their lives um, in different ways, you know, they, it, the, it can get out there so quickly. Um, you don't have to wait like we used to for the newspaper article the next day yeah. or a great piece on the six o'clock news. Um, yeah. So as, as much as social media is, um, can be snarky sometimes, um, it's still a great way to, to be able to honor and reflect people too. And I love that tradition of, of the reading of the names. Um, you know, we do that in the monogram club at Notre Dame also, um, you yeah. know, at our annual mass, everyone who's passed, um, who's in the club, that year, um, you know, has their name read. And I think all of us who sit in mass at that time think, wow, someday mm -hmm. my name will be read. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah. just what a what a neat thing that is to be remembered, you know, as the people go on before us. But, you it's know, it's an interesting dance, Haley, though, because my um, parish, St. Dominic's, they have one of the intentions is we pray for the one among us who will go next. in <laughs> so, your facial reaction, it's like, is that macabre? Is that, you know, is that truly morbid? Or is that, is that, you know, just right. that's life, that's true. But it just, it does, it feels so, oh, it's- Interesting. Here. Yeah, so I I do say we pray to the Lord right? because <laughs> it could be, it could be me, but hopefully not. Well, I also saw, I don't know if it was a meme or, it sounds like I spent a lot of time on social media. I really don't, but- um, someone said, if you take the bouquet off the casket and toss it, does the person who catches it? Oh, next no, <laughs> no. Well, as someone who's caught a bouquet more times than most women, um, I don't know. It doesn't it work. Really doesn't work. <laughs> I'll never forget one time I'm at, I went to a, it was a friend from Notre Dame's sister. Uh, and she was an ace with us, Bridget Moorhead. And I caught the bouquet and I went back to campus and I, decided to take the bouquet to the grotto. So because Bernadette, there's um, Bernadette is praying to our lady and she holds flowers. So I took the bouquet to honor Bridget and her husband. And this uh, Father Gary Chamberlain sees me and I tell him what's happening. And he's like, wow, Ann, you are really praying that this works out. <laughs> and I said, not for me, Gary for you know for bridget um but i thought that was pretty funny that's totally his humor so well it has certainly been an extraordinary week for the third sunday in ordinary time um you know there was certainly nothing ordinary about this week from a peaceful transition of power a new catholic president um you know certainly losing two american icons in their own way 
Um, and then certainly just in my own life, in the life of the Notre Dame family, recognizing and honoring and remembering um, my teammates, Megan Beeler and Colleen Hip, and the Notre Dame swim team of 1991-92, both the men's and the women's teams. Um, just really an extraordinary and meaningful time all around. And, you know, this this week I know is one of your favorite Sundays. It's not quite um, the Sunday Masters or Masters Sunday. You know, I'm not a golf person, so I probably didn't say that right. But um, good. It, it it is, it's, we're still in football season. As my son said, um, before the game started this weekend, there are only three football games between now and August. And I thought that is a depressing thought. Um, Ooh, he, wow. Right. Yeah. I know when you put it that yeah. way. Um, yeah. But I know this is one of your favorite weeks of the year. Um, and as always, even though it is ordinary time, it is there are certainly extraordinary events going on. And I think that's that's, you know, God's gift. And that's our challenge is to find the extraordinary in the ordinary um, because the, the miracles are there every day, um, mm. on ordinary days, even, um, it, we just have to choose to see them. And so we are sorry, we are not going to see Aaron Rodgers in the Super Bowl. Um, but I know we both look forward to his, um, stint on Jeopardy. That's the hope, <laughs> right? So yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. disappointed. I'm not going to lie. I've just watched that first game. So yeah, AFC, NFC championship just so much good football. I just love playoff football. I love playoff baseball as well. I'm sure our listeners love playoff basketball and that's fine, but really football and baseball for me. But yeah, Aaron Rodgers was um, a guest on Jeopardy before Alex Trebek died and he won on Celebrity Jeopardy. And apparently he watches Jeopardy every night at 6 p.m. And um, he believes that Trebek was one of our nation's great school teachers. Another someone we lost in the past year when he died of pancreatic cancer. So they are, I think at this point, committed to Ken Jennings. I'm not sure as the host, but it is one of uh, Aaron Rodgers' goals to host Jeopardy. And he will certainly have the time now. So I'm confident he's... I mean, you don't get to that level and not be devastated to get that far and not take it to the next step. But if we can offer silver lining, maybe it's that he will get to be part of one of America's favorite game shows. So TBD. Again, making something hopefully extraordinary out of, um, you know, well, there's nothing ordinary about um, Jeopardy or Aaron Rodgers. Um, But thank you, Anne. It's it's always extraordinary talking to you um, in this, again, third the third Sunday or third Sunday in ordinary time. Um, as we move throughout this week, I look forward to our conversation next week. I re- look forward to remembering reaching out this week. I hope our listeners will do the same and, yeah. uh, we look forward to hearing yeah. from all of you next week. Thank you, Haley. 29 years of health and, um, and just, yeah, all that you've been able to share and offer the world from an event that was a huge loss, but obviously the focusing on acknowledging the loss but and living with the loss, but also looking at the grace. So thank you. Thank you. Have a great week. You too.